Welcome once again to Deep Web 3 Secrets. I'm Alex Trapp, a.k.a. Eco, and I'm here with Spirit Surge. Spirit, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? It's been a good week. It's been a productive week. We're getting some rains here again. I'm excited to talk about a kind of follow-on from our last conversation. We got a, a, good, a lot of good input, and I've learned a lot in the meantime. So uh, let me know uh, off the top of your head, what was the most interesting thing that you got in feedback from our first episode? Uh, the most interesting feedback that I actually received was actually in the DMs. Um, we're talking about the NFTs part of things where they talked about, well, Right, you're talking about you know the development part, decentralization, and databases. Uh, where do NFTs fit into that? That was that was literally the feedback I got because our first session essentially resulted in people having more questions than answers and more follow-ups than you know the normal uh, feedback that you're expecting. I mean, I'm sure there were some comments about you know having games with the same ecosystem or you know having uh, like language is like the same thing or trustworthiness is the same thing. And that's fine. I mean, in the end, there's, there is no right answer because uh, for different language, like for instance, if you take Arabic, right? Uh, the, the word for trust, confidence, hope, is all the same, right? Um, and we know that in the end, like in English, confidence, trustworthiness, um, hope are not the same words. So it's, it's, there is always going to be a language barrier, even if people insist there isn't because of the way communication happens all around the world. But yeah, NFTs was, was big follow-up I got in my DMs. People asking me more questions about, okay, they're talking about decentralization, but where does this fit or where does that fit? So um, that, that was the most part, like interesting part of the feedback I got. Yeah, I love that. And I think we're going to get to that today. Just to touch on cross-cultural communication, I know it's true. I know it's true. I've lived it. And it's funny because I also understand the people that say, you know, there's this thing and it doesn't matter. Uh, it, it exists. Uh, and, you know, you could say it's different, but it is what it is. And so in a certain sense, there is one reality, and we have a lot of different languages trying to discuss it. But I think when that one reality, so maybe you can imagine that there does exist a single idea of trust. But when we try to describe it in different ways, in different languages, there really is uh, at least a psychological difference in how we understand that single concept, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's not only from the perspective of uh, languages, it's also perspective from the person. Like, I am a game, I am, for instance, a project owner, right? Uh, my perspective of trustworthiness is going to be something different than from what the, you know, the investor is expecting, simply because uh, if, for instance, that's not properly communicated. So my guy, right, my investor might be expecting that I uh, am like, I consider this guy trustworthy if he gives me a full project and he gives me my money's return back. But as a project owner, right, I might be thinking, hey, you know, I'm trustworthy as long as I'm communicating with people, right? It doesn't matter if I am changing the roadmap 10 times, right? But I'm trustworthy because I am openly communicating with people, right? It doesn't matter if I'm jumping from project to project. It doesn't matter if I am, you know, falsifying information. It doesn't matter if I am changing the roadmap repeatedly. So there's that perspective as well. It's also not only the language perspective. It's also the perspective of the person who is who is delivering. Yes, even in the same language. And and you made me think of so many things like uh, front end versus back end. Um, and we could talk about. Uh, even data, uh, we can attach ourselves to any API and get data, but 
is that data real? Is it uh, is it valuable in the sense or trustworthy in the sense that that it's based on actual user interactions, or are these uh, junk uh, junk information that has been filled in, let's say, as sample data? Um, so okay, so fantastic uh, discussion there because even within the same language, we could have some disagreements on what it means to be trustworthy. Yeah, it is. It is. I mean, uh, for a com for a person who runs a community, right, and for the person who's taking part in the community, for the person who is looking at this community from a third party's perspective, or from an outsider's perspective, they all have different concepts. That's why you have, you know, that's why you don't have everyone investing into the same project. Uh, that's why you know someone will say, you know, I like this project. I'm going to invest in that. Uh, because they fit in within my idea of trustworthiness, where someone else might say, you know what, sure, these guys are delivering and they're like super awesome and all of that, but you know, they're not fitting within my interest of trustworthiness. I don't think I'll make get my money back from them, or I think it's going to end up in a loss. So they don't invest in that project. Uh, there's just there's, there's just so many moving pieces in the human psyche. Right when it comes to selecting a project or doing a due diligence, right? That's why we're here, right? To break down this human psyche. Yes, that is why we're here, giving some perspective. So I got a feedback uh, from my mother, and it was so nice to hear that my mother was able to listen to us and understand us, and she didn't get bored. Uh, so I got a really nice feedback from her. Um, and that, that made me happy. Uh, we're not, we did get a little technical, but I think we, we worked our way around. The idea of this podcast is not only for developers. We want to talk to regular people, people who are not familiar or as familiar with this space as we are. I think that's really where we can add value. So, so far, based on the feedback, we're on the right track. Uh, we're talking in language that people can understand. And I think part of that is because we are, from kind of two different sides of the coin. So we, we're translating to each other, right? We're not two back-end guys talking about back-end stuff. We're, we're kind of, uh, um, let's say, uh, outside looking in and an inside looking out. And so when we talk to each other, uh, I think we, we're using good language. Um, there's a, a point I wanted to touch on. Uh, you mentioned the word invest. And I wonder why... Or what you think about why in Web 2, uh, although you could invest in Google or Facebook, but in Web 2, no one really said that when you were going to play Farmville, even if you spent money on the tokens or the packages of uh, gold coins or whatever, no one talked about investing in Farmville. Uh, no one talked about investing uh, your personal data in, in Twitter or investing your time. But in Web3, it's all of a sudden, we're, almost every conversation has these financial overtones to it. What do you attribute to that really switch uh, in language about how we talk about Web2 versus Web3? So uh, I want to test, test, since you talked about it, it's not just Web3, it's just Web2 as well. Um, there was this news that came in last week about a kid, 18 years old. Uh, he was playing Counter-Strike. Uh, he just three days into his Counter-Strike, he pulled out a knife from a chest. Okay, and uh, uh, Counter-Strike is, is, is not a Web3 game, it's a Web2 game. And he pulled out a knife, right, and he sold it for $180,000, oh. right? Three days into the game, the 18-year-old just, you know, uh, Sold it for one hundred eighty thousand dollars. So this is this isn't just like that. You take Yoda, right? Another Web two game, right? And they they had this uh, you know couriers, right? So there's some baby Russian and all of that stuff. And those couriers, right? Couriers they don't have any game impact. It's a visual impact, right? And that baby Russian sold for a hundred and hundred and twenty thousand dollars, something like that, back in back like several years ago. This hasn't started now. This has been going on for a long, long time. You're talking about Farmville, right? The only reason why this 
is not impacted Farmville is because you cannot trade items, right? If I have a cow or if I have a pink goat or whatever it is, right, I can gift it to other people, but I can't trade it. Uh, there is no facilitation or escrow service that I can use uh, that is going to allow me to take this pink goat, a coveted pink goat from someone else. And if you were to take other Web2 games, like Counter-Strike, like Dota, and they have like PUBG, right? They have all of this visual stuff, cosmetic stuff that they can trade and they can, you know, earn real, like through an Ospro service, earn money from it. What Web3 does is that it facilitates everything within a single service. You don't have to rely on an escrow service, right? You don't have to rely on three, four other guys to convert this Steam money into real money. Uh, so basically what Web3 does is it facilitates this very action that people are playing the game for. Sure, Counter-Strike is fun, Dota is fun, but if I can make money while I'm playing the game, that's even better because I'm having fun, but now, you know, I'm earning money from. Uh, so these financial overtones are, have always existed. It's just become more and more easy to do it nowadays than if you were to go back 10 years ago, if you were to go back 11 years ago, if you were to go back even six years ago. Now, uh, if you are taking some, an, an elder gentleman or an elder woman, right? Someone who's just getting into a game. If you were to go back 11 years ago, there's no way they could sit down and trade something for actual money. But now, because of Web3, because of crypto, they can. So it has always existed and it is always going to exist. And we're just, as developers, making it easier for everyone to do. Right, okay, so this reminds me uh, my personal journey of World of Warcraft. Um, I think there was a way that some people were farming gold. They were uh, maybe even manipulating the auction houses. I never really understood while I was playing uh, how they were doing that, right? I was just playing. I needed to get a certain number of uh, silk to make, a, you know, a stack of silk to make the next item or whatever. But there it was in the auction house. I could pay gold. And uh, from my perspective, I could get gold uh, from playing the game or I could get gold from Blizzard. But later I learned that there were and. I don't know if they were all Chinese, but that was the word on the street was that there were people in China playing the game, uh, farming gold and selling it uh, to people like me. Uh, not, I actually never did buy any, but uh, people like me in the Western world that didn't want to farm gold. Um, and further than that, that Blizzard had taken action they had banned accounts. They had made this prohibited behavior. And uh, they were working very hard to stop it from happening. But it was not very easy to stop. So would you say that uh, in the Web3 world, instead of uh, projects working against what the natural market forces are doing, it's more like leaning into that tendency? Uh, well, yeah, of course. The reason, well, first let's look at the base root cause or root, base root reason of why even the big companies like Blizzard or, you know, the Unescape guys, right? They want to ban, uh, you know, money trading. Because once that starts happening, scams, abuse, those kind of things start happening. And once that starts happening, then you become an object of investigation because you are now running a game where people are getting scammed, abused, they're losing their money. And uh, if you're getting investigated for that because you're not taking action, it can result in dire ramifications of you losing your user retention, right? And obviously user acquisition. So the only thing they can do is 
they can obviously push towards it heavily and uh, you know ban accounts ban bots whatever it is in web3 where the expectation itself is that uh we are providing the service to you right but we are going to educate you or we're going to let you know how to do things so uh you don't lose money but so oftentimes if you go in discord one of the most common announcement messages you're going to see is we will never dm you right uh we will never dm you and you know if there's someone impersonate if someone dms you saying they're us they're impersonating you so don't give them any money don't you know indulge them in whatever it is so just so that you don't get scammed and just just that right web3 is all about providing opportunities and services but one of the major parts that is missing is the education part it's not enough that you are providing a service to your users it is imperative that you educate your users towards the proper what we want to say communication protocol right a technical protocol on how are the functionality of your x trading service or your x marketplace yes okay so so many good points there okay first uh, it's not necessarily that these gaming companies want to push back although they may want to for um a couple of reasons but they're required by law and they're facing heavy pressure uh to not be money transmitters or to not be uh qualifying as things that that other than a gaming company so if they open up these uh opportunities wider they might fall afoul of uh, the SEC, for example. Okay, so that's really interesting. And then scams. So scams, I remember playing Diablo 2 and some guy said, hey, give me your rare item and I'm going to duplicate it. And then he ran away. He never gave it back to me. And that was the first scam, digital scam I ever fell for. He stole my, I think it was... Uh, well, I forget what it was, some rare armor. Um, that And that scam has always existed. And now so a lot of people associate uh, Web3 or crypto with scams. But the scams have always been here. Um, in fact, uh, crypto could facilitate scams just like it can facilitate regular business. It facilitates interactions between people and some of those interactions are going to be scammy. And so you as a user need to be more careful than ever about the scams. Is that, is that, you, would you agree with that? Oh, that's perfectly put in. Yes. I mean, that's the most important thing. Uh, see, with every good technology, with every piece of good technology, they're going to be bad people. In the end, this service, this trading service, it is, a, it is a tool, right? Just like a gun is. And it all depends on the person who's using the tool, what he's gonna do with it, right? I, as uh, someone who is wanting to like play a game, oh, I got this cool NFT, I wanna trade it for another NFT because I've, like, I've got good duplicates now, right? Uh, okay, then I'm gonna trade it for that. Th that's how I'm gonna use this tool. But someone else might look at this and say, hey, I can make money from this, right? I can trick people into giving me their stuff for a lower value, and then I can sell it at a higher price. Uh, is that scammy? Not necessarily, uh, because you're trying to turn a profit. But if you are, you know, taking something from someone, and you're taking advantage of the fact that they are ignorant or that they really uh, or have no idea about the value of the thing, and you are aware of the fact that they have no idea about the value of the thing, and you're taking advantage. Um, it's not necessarily as people might not think it's a scam, but I think it's dishonest and it shouldn't be done. That's, but then again, different people have different standards. Yeah, that, then that's it, it goes right back to our cultural discussion. It makes me think of here locally in our small town in Colombia, there's a lot of discussion about 
intermediaries when they sell the the plantains or the bananas the the potatoes uh, the intermediaries pay them less and sell them for more and a lot of people perceive that as uh, a scam or a ripoff uh, you didn't grow the potato why are you getting more money uh, in a certain extent the intermediary does provide a service. The farmer doesn't have time to stand around and wait to sell the potato uh, pound by pound. Uh, he wants to sell all of his potatoes at once and get back to the farm. And so the interme intermediary is providing some value in terms of the bananas. They sell them all to a big truck and the big truck drives across the country and sells it in a big city where people are paying a lot more for those bananas. Uh, and that discussion about how much money of the banana should go to the farmer versus the intermediary is a really interesting discussion. And some people do claim that that's a scam. Uh, the intermediary is also providing some value, so it's not only a scam. Um, but this is not even about web this is probably a five thousand or or even more year old discussion yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's just you know the whole perspective of creating nfts right non-fungible tokens right uh for those who don't know uh non-fungible means that it it is unique and uh, it can't be replaced, right? And what, 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 so like, if you were to compare it with bananas, plantains, or potatoes, right, which can be duplicated, uh, a non-fungible token is unique, cannot be replaced, has a unique signature. That's how you basically, you know. Okay, so uh, the, let, let me jump in here. So when we're talking about World of Warcraft gold, that's a fungible item. That's uh, every gold that I earn is the same as, every gold that anybody else earns and you don't know which gold you earned first you only know you got a thousand of them and if you spend 500 you're not really sure which of those thousand you spent but on the other hand we've got the counter-strike uh, was it a dagger uh obviously yeah, a knife. Yeah. yeah knife that must have had some very unique properties it must have been quite rare um and so on a technical side usually that comes with uh, an id number uh, or something internal that can track which which dagger is which. If you have two knives, you know which is which uh, as a player because either visually or by the title, you say, well, this is the, the rare dagger of the Lunar Temple and uh, a different dagger will have a different title. That, so those are then non-fungible. Uh, do you have any other examples? Uh, oh, we could talk about uh, single origin coffee. So when people here locally sell coffee, they sell it as a commodity, uh, fungible uh, like pork bellies. Every pork belly is the same. Every coffee is the same. Well, wait a second. Recently, people have started deciding that every coffee is not the same. We want to know which farm the coffee came from and in what conditions it was grown in. And so people have started to make their coffees less fungible um, and right on the bag. Mm -hmm. This was harvested in this time in this farm, single mm -hmm. origin. So a lot of these concepts are, are outside of the technical world as well. Uh, the digital realm is, is not the birthplace of fungibility and non-fungibility. That's probably a, a Forex domain, right? Well... Yeah, but we go way more minute with NFTs because uh, non-fungible, you're talking about the word non-fungible, that's fine. Like everything you said fits within the criteria. But when you add tokens in that, right, you add the word token next to it, that's when everything changes. Uh, here's why. Imagine that you are going to a store, right? You're going, you see this big building, right? It's empty, it's like, uh, you can like it's a store it has stuff inside that whole building is essentially uh an entry 
uh, an, an NFT entry into the decentralized blockchain, right? What happens right now is that NFTs are capable of holding information. They can hold in images, they can hold in music, they can hold in a lot of data. There is something known as NFT storage that can hold up to 32 GBs of data within a single NFT, right? That, like that type of tech is coming now. Uh, what happens right now is that we have these bunch of non-fungible unique tokens where they just have the building, they have a picture in front of it, or you know, like a board logo on it, but inside everything is empty. That's literally the state. You take a board ape. You ever heard of board apes, right? You heard of CryptoPunks? Oh yeah. Um, yeah, all of these are just images with traits, right? And that's all they're holding. There's a huge amount of uh, unutilized data within that particular NFT that is not being used. Um, that's that's where basically uh, for a developer, right? He can look to it and he can say, you know what? I could add a lot of utility within that particular uh, NFT. Now, I'm going to jump a bit into the technical side just to explain a very, very serious concept of why NFTs are so important. Well, can I, let me interrupt here. Let me interrupt for a second. Let, I want to take this slow. I want to want to walk around this once before we, we really dive in because uh, last year or maybe two years ago, the really funny meme was right click save as. And, and I want to talk about this. So I get a board ape. And inside my token is not even an image, an image link, a link to an image that's hosted on a centralized server uh, and maybe some numbers, right? Head uh, 47, uh, accessory 13, uh, teeth 21. Okay, so what does that mean? I mean, I know between the two of us, we at that time could see the potential of this technology, but I, I, I laughed a lot about this right-click save as <laughs> meme because basically you don't own the image. You own a token with some data in it. Um, and, and a lot of times that image link is hosted on a, on a centralized server. So I know you're going to get into uh, the... NFTs being able to hold more data, but two years ago when Bored Apes came out, I mean, did you buy some? Was this was this the the new technology or the was this the application of the new technology you were really interested in? Um, so I just you're literally going uh, towards the direction where I wanted to go. So yeah, uh, Regarding board apes, when like if that's not, not board apes, you go back, right? You had the uh, crypto kitties. That was like the first few versions that came out. Kitties. Wrong yep. before came out. And there were are there so many projects that have gone past. Uh, holding uh, so let me just very clarify again, I'm going to go into this technical side because I need to explain this concept very clearly. Any game right now, if you were to play, right? Um, if you were to play that game, it would take information out of a centralized database and show you, like, take on strike that knife is going to be in some database, right? That is, could be non-fungible, meaning it could be unique and irreplaceable, but it is not a token. Why is it not a token? Because it's not a cryptographic asset. It doesn't exist on the blockchain. It is using a database to take out information. What is actually an NFT? An NFT is basically an entry on the uh, blockchain, right? And if I were to call information, I would not call it from a centralized database. I would call it directly from that NFT cryptographic asset transaction that is on chain, meaning that board ape information that I'm getting, that image, and the fact that it has this traits all of that information is stored on that particular NFT, right? And why is this so huge? This is so huge is because there is no centralized database where things can be changed or they can be manipulated, right? 
if there's a board ape 1161, it has pink hair and it is on chain, no matter what happens, right? No matter anyone who does a right click save as and then turns the hair blue, right? That doesn't change the fact that that particular board ape is always going to have pink hair because of the information that is stored on chain. And this is the biggest and the hugest thing that people need to understand about NFTs. The whole reason why they can provide so much utility is because they don't exist on a database. They exist on chain with several people, node holders, node operators have access to, and no one can change that information. Sure, you can right click save as uh, an image, right? But even if for, you were to make changes in that particular image, if, if on chain, board ape one one six one is always going to have pink hair. And yeah, so that's that's basically the direction that I was taking this conversation. Why uh, Web two, right? Okay, so you have this dagger, right? He sold it for one eighty thousand dollars. Tomorrow, if Counter Strike, the the gentleman from Counter Strike, the the owners, the founders decided to change information regarding that particular dagger. No one can do anything, right? Uh, it's, 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 it's the same as uh, the disadvantages of a, of a centralized system. Like, take Twitter. They changed it to X, right? Yes. So the guy who owned the act X account, right, wasn't given any compositions. The account was just taken from him. Right, and he was offered merchandise uh, in replacement for that. So it's just the the harm of centralized systems is that, and NFTs is specifically there so that you can record large amount of data, anything. Right, you could, you could record a full movie on to an NFT, which is on chain, and any information that will be called will be called from the chain and not from a database which is in the control of someone else. Yes, okay, I was just thinking about that. Uh, a Twitter name could be considered non-fungible, right? Uh, uh, no one else can have the same one, but it's not a token because they could take it away from you. It's on their centralized database. So that's a, that's a current example of the difference here. So, okay, so a lot of these concepts have always existed, exist in the real world, but the real new thing is token. So tokens can be fungible or non-fungible. We're about, what would you say? We're about six, seven years into this uh, tokenization revolution. Um, one thing that, I'd like to mention is the difference between a token and a coin. Um, this this definition uh, has seems to become uh, lost over time. But originally, a coin like Bitcoin is a native currency to a blockchain, uh, and a token or sub token is uh, an accounting system within that. Um, am, am I getting that right? Is it, Would you still say that that distinction holds between a token and a coin? Well, yeah. Um, a coin is basically layer one, right? That is the basic functionality uh, or something that is used as a reward system varies from uh, chain to chain, right? It is there It is there as a reward system or it's there as the main token, uh, sorry, as the main uh, currency for uh, a blockchain, right? Token is basically a, a layer two, right? Where someone else comes in and he says, I wanna make a check on this particular chain because I like, like it has this, this advantages. What I'm gonna do is now, I am going to make my own token, right? In this case, if I'm creating an NFT, right? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna create an NFT on this particular layer, right? On top of this layer. Right, but I can't obviously call it a coin because coin is already being used for something else. So what do I do? And that coin is fungible. So what do I do? What I do is I create a token, right? 
a non-fungible one. And then I have a choice. I can either create another fungible token that works in tandem with this non-fungible token, like for instance, you can purchase it, or I can do it like what Ethereum does, where you can buy that non-fungible token with the layer one coin, Ethereum, uh, AVAX, or if you were to go to Binance, and, you know, BNB. So yeah, you got the definition right. Okay, excellent. And just uh, talking about fungible coins and tokens, which uh, both can exist. There's this example, uh, Dogecoin is really a token that uh, exists within Litecoin blockchain. Uh, I think, as, as far as I understand, Dogecoin resolves within the blocks of Litecoin. So Dogecoin is technically a token, although a fungible token. And then now Litecoin and even Bitcoin have these uh, ordinals. Uh, so even the uh, some of the original blockchain like Bitcoin, they're going towards this NFT idea, where if we just get the if we just adjust the tech a little bit, we can tell the difference between different satoshis, different uh, bits of Bitcoin. Um, so I'm sensing that NFTs are really important. Uh, Bored apes never convinced me. The crypto kitties, I didn't, didn't convince me. Um, what would you say was the first project that convinced you that NFTs were going to be powerful in the future? Or did you always know? The first time I heard about NFTs and saw how they work, the fact that you could circumvent databases, the fact that you can circumvent uh, you know, people falsifying information. I knew this was the future, right? Because the biggest thing about Web3 is the fact that you can create data which is transparent and, and you know, immutable. It cannot, be, it cannot be changed. NFTs is a huge, huge step towards that because of how that information so you, you see tokens, right? There's like, you can't hold a lot of information in tokens. It's just not, it's, it's not possible, right? You can do inscriptions, which is what the ordinals is. We're doing, doing inscriptions on Satoshis. Uh, but the fact that you can circumvent the biggest problem of you having to own databases, right? And having to host databases uh, is, 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 is huge. This, this also comes with a, you know, uh, a, a negative, you know, consequence, but we'll get into that later. So, yeah, I mean, NFTs were always great. I, from the start, have not seen a single proper use of an NFT. I still haven't seen. And I'm going to be honest, I like, it, and I understand why it doesn't exist because of the negative consequences I've been, like, I've been talking about, but, uh, We'll get to that, you know, towards the end of this session. So we're 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 really early in this process, I think. And so the people that noticed this early started to play around with it. And I think play is the right word. Uh, there, I don't know if there's any other word to describe the the board apes. Uh, they started to play around, uh, testing the technology. And so I think in that sense that the technology is so new and innovators need to play with it and figure it out, learn lessons, make mistakes, uh, have successes too, uh, and build up a library of best practices, what works, what doesn't. I think that might be why uh, gaming is such at the forefront right now, because Literally, these technologies are so new that we need to play with them. And so people have made and are making games. And with and through the games, we're going to figure out the best way to get these technologies into, work, into use. Uh, one of the issues that I see, for example, one of the first ideas that really got me thinking was uh, land deeds. And I thought, yes, deeds are 
non-fungible, and if they were tokens, right, then that certain things would be uh, easier, certain things would be better, certain things may not be better. But wow, I really thought that a non-fungible token land deed, that really got my attention. But, you know, everybody's got to have a wallet. So the onboarding is a big issue. Onboarding is a huge issue. So I think gaming is at the forefront precisely because there's a lot of playing that needs to be done as we figure out how to implement these technologies um, into governments and into nation states and into real life. Uh, first, the gamer. Let the gamer experiment. Um, and so that kind of brings us to what you're working on with gaming. Uh, were you a player uh, before you were a game developer, or how how did that how did that path travel for you? I think the first time I actually gained awareness was I remember I was just playing games all the time, like playing Pong, you know, or playing you know what was it, Space Invaders on Good Boy. Yes, like, I'm, like I've always been a gamer, like from the start, and I've been obsessed with gaming, and Sure, you know, born you know, when you when you're born in the in, in in the Middle East, right? You obviously come with uh, expectations from your family, and you have to do engineering. You have to do, follow a path because, like, being a game developer is not considered a proper path when you're going towards you know Middle East Middle Eastern families. But this was something I always wanted to do, and I'm glad that I've you know stepped onto this path. And just looking at that, right? So you mentioned this. Uh, term, but gaming is the forefront right now for experimentation for NFTs. And now I want to talk about one of the biggest drawbacks of an NFT system, which is a big problem uh, for gamers, game developers to in, like include it in the, in the game. So I'm running a game after war, right? It is a card game, TCG, just like hard. And I have a card there, which is called Red Potion. It gives you plus one attack and fury, which gives you double strike, allows, you, allows a card to attack two times. But now what has happened is I'm getting feedback that this card is too strong. It needs to be changed, right? It needs to be toned down or it needs, the ability has to change or whatever it is. Now, what was the thing about NFTs that was so attractive? It was the fact that it was immutable, right? It can, like the, the data within that particular thing cannot be changed, but now, I'm in a scenario where I have a card that is so overpowered that people don't want to play the game. It's ruining their experience. So what do I do? I cannot make it an NFT, right? Because that's, that's a trick of it. An NFT is immutable. But even though I have a token, right, the fact that I can change its data uh, and it exists within my centralized database does not mean I'm running an NFT. It means I'm running an in-game uh, it's a, it's an in-game item, right? It's not an NFT. Even if I were to throw out a custom JSON on the chain saying, oh, you know, this guy has a red potion. The fact that red potion's value is changing, the fact that the ability of the red potion is changing means that it is not an NFT. And this is the biggest drawback for gamers, from game, for game developers, to get past. Because you need to get it right the first time, right? Or you need to find a way to uh, not have that NFT in play anymore if you want to maintain the fact that your in-game items are NFTs. And to date, to date, no one has gotten it right. And anyone who says they got it right are not running NFTs. They're running centralized in-game items that they're changing the information and data repeatedly. I like that you mentioned land deeds. Land deeds is immutable because once that deed is on the chain, right? Sure, it's on. You have to have a wallet for it. That's understandable. Uh, I remember when the USBs came out, right? Everyone was shocked that you need to have a USB to like store this. But people got around to it. It's gonna be the same here. Eventually, everyone will get used to it. And land deeds is something that's immutable, right? Because once a land deed is signed and transferred, right, and there's a unique signature that information is not going to change. But what happens if there is an extension within the land 
or what happens in terms of the land exchange, any, any NFT, right, which requires an information to be changed uh, on chain, right, is not an NFT because it's not immutable. And that is such a huge, huge concept that people need to work with. And that's why centralized governments are having so much trouble uh, having to find a, finding a workaround because they can't change anything anymore, right? If someone, uh, I remember there was this uh, campaign back in El Salvador, right? Right before they incorporated Bitcoin and they talked about, uh, you know, having loans, bank loans as NFTs, right? But then came the problem that how, what happens if the terms of the loan change, right? Do you discard an NFT and you give another NFT, right? And it became this huge uh, yeah, the moral dilemma where uh, in the end it was scratched because no one could get around the path fact that the bank would just randomly on chain send you uh, an, a, 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 a bank loan NFT with different terms, right? And uh, you were going to have one with your original terms. And now you have two NFTs for the same bank loan with two different terms. How are you going to resolve this in court? And there's such a, uh, there's such a legal implication. We are so far from figuring out how to use NFTs properly because that requires A, to have the perfect product, B, to have the perfect users, C, to have the perfect development team that you can trust. If you cannot find any of these three, uh, your NFT project, right, is either not going to be an NFT project anymore, or it's going to end up just like Bordeaux or CryptoPunks or, you know, uh, what's this new one? Uh, like, there's so many, so many NFT projects. So like many, that. yeah. And, I mean, like, I, that is the thing. So that is the thing here. Unless we can figure out a way right, as developers, to make a project that does not require even a single change in any piece of information, right, that is what is going to make an NFT, right? If you can keep continuously changing data, then it's not immutable anymore. And that is a problem. Okay, I, so many good lines of thinking there. I think about, now technically, uh, you know, as a project manager, my mind immediately went to what's the technical solution. The NFT only contains an ID number, and in my centralized database, I can edit the stats of the card, right? So I can change the card. It's still your NFT, but all your NFT has is an ID number that refers to my centralized database. So that is ideal from a developer's perspective but non-ideal from the idea that these this information is on chain and uh, immutable right um and no, I, it's not an nft anymore because what you're going to end up is with duplicates so let's say i am i have this picture of a pink monkey and i put it on chain saying that this is a pink monkey but if i were to try to use the same title number right with a different id and i throw it out there so now you have two crypto monkeys with the same with the same you know title number one one six one one has blue hair one has pink hair. Well now you have duplicates, and that's why you know like what was this new project Azuki Azuki's new projects came out with elementals right, and the whole reason why so many people were really concerned with elementals was because they were recycling the same image with different ID numbers right, and then they changed those pictures right. That, like they changed the metadata and all of that stuff, right? And what that resulted in was a huge amount of people shitting on Azuki because they took $40 million for their mint, $40 million for their mint, right? And they developed and they, they delivered subpar, uh, you know, NFTs and they, and they like gave duplicates with different ID numbers and it made no sense. So that's the thing. The only time an NFT remains an NFT is when it's out, it's only on chain. It is not on anywhere else except on chain. 
And any, so if you were to take any gaming project right now, right? Take Splinter Lens, you take my project, take any project that's out there. Um, any, if that information can be changed, there can be a buff, there can be a nerf, right? Um, that particular card, and it affects the present, let's say you're owner of card, and now it's got a nerf, right? The moment it gets a nerf and that nerf is reflected within your ID number, that is not an NFT anymore. It's a centralized in-game item. And it's the same everything. It's a, so to like talk about this particular ethical impact of you changing information, right? And then calling it an NFT is so severe that I'm glad that we don't have regulation because so many people would end up breaking the rules. Well, right. And, and I think regulation isn't possible until we figure out these issues. You mentioned Splinterlands, uh, one of the top uh, NFT gaming uh, or Web3 gaming uh, companies right now. I think they, they, they rank really high in the transactions. They hit a, a pretty big point in the last uh, bull market. Um, I think that that is the way they handle it. You own a card. But the effects of that card in the game are not uh, decentralized. They are centralized. So however they're reading that card, uh, I believe the data stored on chain is, is something like an ID number. And they're free to adjust how that ID number works in game, whether it is a buff or a nerf. Um, and so the practical... Uh, case is it's not as nft as we might think or we might wish um on the other side of the coin do we want to play a game where developers can't make adjustments i mean that is so complicated what game in history well maybe there is a game like chess or something once the rules are written that's how you play chess um but but it seems to me that almost every game makes adjustments as it goes. Um, and usually for the better, maybe not everyone agrees, but uh, it's uh, balancing, I think is what they call it. Uh, ongoing balancing adjustments. Um, very interesting um, concept. The important thing here that we need to consider is the fact is that if you were to have a game that was perfect, you would also need to have people, the users who are perfect, uh, who are not going to abuse the system or who are not going to, you know, uh, pull off scams by stating a price or something. There's, there's so many moving pieces when it comes to talking about NFTs and games. Absolutely. So just stepping back to, I was thinking of smart contracts. So in Ethereum, you can publish a smart contract. And I've been talking to a couple different projects and you know i've said hey we could do it this way and they said well don't we want to do a smart contract and i said well you can but you better make sure that you know everything now before you publish it you know because you can't change it later if it's a real smart contract uh and it has an exploit uh you know it could be audited or not the exploit may not be invented today it could be invented tomorrow uh, but you can't change that contract. You can, you can deprecate it and launch a new one. Uh, you can fork over to something else. Like I will, I got a snapshot. Everybody, we're going to this other smart contract. Come claim on the new one because a new hack has appeared, and now we that old one doesn't work anymore. Um, so the technology of a smart contract was big, promise, wow. No, but we just got to trust the code. But wait, code, I don't read code. And even the people that read code may not identify the exploits. Um, the people that are very good at that uh, generally uh, work it out over time and figure it out uh, later. <laughs> as soon as there's a, a honeypot, enough money, for that, for them to be valuable, to really let me let me look at this another way. So these immutable technologies come really with their own challenges, for sure. 
Yes, I mean, let's talk about the most, one of the most famous, you know what, let's talk about the most famous one, one with the biggest market cap, CryptoPunks. Did you know that CryptoPunks, there's like two versions of them? There's CryptoPunks version one and CryptoPunks version two. Oh. The first version, which was made, had this huge exploit, which allowed people to buy CryptoPunks without spending Ethereum. What that resulted in was such a large outrage at that time that what the CryptoPunks team did was they launched another version, version two of that. So any CryptoPunks that you see out there uh, in, in, in the, in, 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 on crypto Twitter, right? Those are version two, um, those are version two uh, punks. And that is an example of that Things can still go along even if you have a 900 million market cap, right? And this is on the bear market. And I'm going to talk about how what happened in the bull market and how high they were at that time. So keeping that in mind, you have to be extremely, extremely efficient. You have to make sure you have perfect product, right? Perfect service before you can put it on chain and call it immutable, right? CryptoPunks was a huge scandal at the time. And the way they fixed it, I suppose, yeah, it did work out because they're still surviving, they're still there. And even though like the ownership has changed, but you know, at that time they did the right move. And no matter what happens as we go down the road, developers are always going to face challenges when it comes to creating smart contracts, when it comes to having non-fungible tokens, when it comes to having immutable, trustless systems. I, I, I honestly think that NFT's topic is so big, I could probably talk another eight hours on. And smart contracts is equally big. I mean, I have gone through so many smart contracts. That's the first thing I do. Whenever a project is launched on Ethereum, the first thing I do is go through the smart contract, right? And I, 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 like, I come across these really, really basic mistakes, right? And these are million dollar projects. It comes come with basic, basic mistakes, right? That can render their system, their game, uh, their smart contract completely useless. But you know what? I, I would love to talk about that, um, you know, within the next week. Okay, so let me just wrap this or, back you know, around. Uh, whatever, you know, the agenda or topic we discussed. Yeah, let me wrap this back around to financialization. So no one says when you buy a license or you buy a copy of Counter-Strike 2, nobody says it's an investment. Even though you might get a $1,000 knife or a knife worth uh, multiple thousands of dollars. Um. I think we're in the same space. Uh, again, a big red flag when you feel pressured to invest. Uh, that is tricking your psychology. This is a, a note from last week. This space is a space where we're playing around. And yes, some people might make money. You might be able to make some money too. But it's not an investment in the sense that playing Counter-Strike or buying a copy of Counter-Strike is not really an investment. You can make money and you can lose money, but you can't lose money that you didn't spend, right? So be very careful when you're playing in this space. Uh, there's a lot of fun that you can have, but just wave that red flag in front of anybody that says uh, or pressures you to invest or makes you think like you're going to be missing out. Uh, that's the, the old FOMO, fear of missing out. No, come and play. Spend whatever money you're comfortable spending on entertainment. And maybe that money will multiply. Maybe it'll turn to dust. That's kind of the way it goes. Uh, there's, there's some things we can learn about this along the way. But... Uh, I mean, would you, is that, is that okay? Can I say that? I mean, would you also recommend being very careful, uh, being tempted to invest money in this space right now? 
absolutely um one of the biggest things that one of the biggest red flags you will actually see out there is someone who says take part in our project and i will make you money right there are projects that will like provide you or give you money i've invested in some of those projects myself right but you need to make sure that they are doing your due diligence is a smart contract right now can changes can be done is there unlimited minting allowed for the token right there's so many points that need to be focused on um honestly i, I, I was just thinking the other day i should make an app that literally just you know you put in the link of the smart contract and tell you whether it's a good project or not <laughs> i was seriously thinking that but like that is so important don't just look at what the market marketer is saying right the marketer is saying oh bro get into this project it's amazing it's this is that it's that right but do you have a product no uh, are your smart contracts renounced no do you even know what a smart contract is yes that's an actual legitimate question that you need to ask uh, uh, these people because so many people it's very easy to start a project right it's literally it will take you nothing you create a discord you drop an announcement well now you have a project you just get hire an influencer same amount of money and that influencer is going to shell the project for you it's very easy right now to create a project that is believable but is it an actual project that you want to invest in is that an actual uh, project that is going to deliver what it's saying it's going to deliver if there's a game that is saying you're going to have a lot of fun with this game but they don't have a product that's their that's a red flag if there's some game if there's some product which is saying I'm going to have a token it's going to give you 1% every day and it's going to go to the moon. Well, that's a red flag because you don't know what's going to happen. How are they going to control inflation? What's the plan? What's the roadmap? All of these things have to be taken in be taken into consideration when you are in the web3 space. Do not blindly invest money, right? Even if you have millions to spare. Excellent. Well, thank you. I really think we wrapped that up uh pretty well put a nice bow on it be careful out there and we'll see you guys next week